Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we are concluding our series, Making the Most of It. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about money in church. And I know that some people are like, man, why do we, you know, like, I, it's always a case where, you know, you invite your friend for the first time and they're, and they're kicking off a series on money, you know, and like, why, why are you talking about money? But no, we've been really talking about what the Bible says and God's perspective on that. And we've talked about how to make the most of it when you have just a little, how to make the most of it when you have some. Today, we're going to be asking the question, how do you make the most of it when you have a lot? And so that's, that's the question. When you've been blessed, when it's a legitimate question to ask. I mean, by the way, Jairus did an amazing job last week. He pinch hit. Amen. Thank you so much, Jairus. Because I called him. I said, hey, man, I'm not going to be here Sunday. Likely I'm not going to be here Sunday. Will you get ready to preach? And he did a great job. When he spoke last week, he talked about a, a, a quote from Rabbi Kushner. And Rabbi Kushner explain, he says, he used a term, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And Jairus illustrated that with this, this dresser, and it has different drawers, and the, our tendency as humans is to, to compartmentalize our lives. So we have the, you know, the, we have our financial drawer, we have our entertainment drawer, we have our spiritual drawer, we have a variety of different drawers, and we kind of compartmentalize our lives, and we tend to try to keep them separate from each other. Right, But what Rabbi Kushner is talking about is that really everything is spiritual. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have the luxury to say, Jesus, I give you my life, but don't talk to me about my wallet. Jesus, I give you my life, but don't tell me how to raise my kids. We don't have that luxury. When we surrender to him, we surrender our entire being to him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and a follower of his, is that you have surrendered your entire life to him. And so, when we've been blessed with a lot, it's a legitimate question to ask. How do I make the most of it when I have a lot? Is that my fault? Did I do something here? There you go. He just, the guy up there is going, turn your mic around. <laughs> I know, I've been messing with it all morning long. Now, I know that some of you, when I'm asking this question, how to make the most of it when you have a lot, you're like, finally, finally a sermon that Rich is gonna preach that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't have to listen to that. I'm, in fact, I'm gonna sit here, I'm counting lights, you know, during the whole service. I don't have to pay attention. I can just go home. In fact, you might, you might feel like you want to just get up and leave. It's okay. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Because it does apply to us, right? Because we do think, and I understand that. I get that. I feel that way sometimes. Like, I don't really have a lot. And the reason why is because that term, a lot, is a very subjective term. How do we know we have a lot? The only way we know we have a lot is by comparison. We compare our lives to somebody else's life. And so in some ways, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church here in, in Iowa, and, uh, but I know some pastors in Bangladesh. In comparison to them, I have a lot. So 
How do we know that we have a lot? It's a very subjective term. So what I want to do is I want to be objective for just a minute. I want us to spend just a few minutes trying to see and understand truly that we have a lot, right? Where do we stand in comparison to the rest of the world? So I have here a image. This is 100 people. Okay, I counted them. It's four rows of 25. Okay, it's 100 people. And I want you to imagine that these 100 people represent the entire world's population. All 8 billion people on the face of the earth are represented in these 100 people. And if that's the case, 70 of them do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you in this room, how many of you in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Amen. From the world standards, 70 do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 51 of these people would be women, 49 would be men, which kind of dispels the myth that there's somebody out there for everyone. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, there's not enough guys on the, uh, in the earth. I know, so I just heard somebody go, oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> 80, 80 would live in substandard housing. So when you hear me say that, 80% 80 80 of the world live in substandard housing, you should pause for a second and ask yourself, what do I live in? 80 would have no running water or electricity. How many of you have running water at your house? Wow, there's some of you don't. That's, that's scary. <laughs> Not everybody raised their hands, so it's kind of scared me out there, right? Uh, we were in Panama a couple of weeks ago, and we went out to this village, you know, way back in there, and there was a church. It was amazing. We're hanging out with this pastor, and they're just worshiping Jesus. We were in this outdoor kitchen, you know, where we're, they were cooking food for us, you know, and it was great. And then um, some people said, we need to use the bathroom, and they, they showed us where the church bathroom was. This was a church bathroom. It was just a little building right outside the back of the church, with a hole, and it caught my, I, took, I don't normally take, a, take pictures of outhouses, <laughs> but this one caught my attention because these guys are really smart. They're really just way out in the, in the bush, but this right here is actually, you know those igloo coolers, right? You, you, you familiar with those igloo coolers? This is the top of an igloo cooler, and they were pretty ingenious. They like, they built the, they built the toilet so that it fits on there, so it fits nice and snug, and then they put a stick on there so you can, if you have to use the bathroom, this is what you do. You pull that off, and, and that's how you use the bathroom. No running water. They had electricity, but they had no running water there. So 70 of these 100 would not be able to read or write. 50 would be malnourished, very hungry. One, often a child, would be starving to death. Now, here's what's interesting. Of these 100 people, six, six would be from North America. That's you and me. That's all of us. Those same six would possess half of the world's wealth. So objectively speaking, objectively speaking, you and I have a lot. Now, I get it. You hear me say that, and you're like, but Rich, you don't understand. I, I live month to month with my paycheck, and I get that, and I understand. I've, I've been there before. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a lot. It just means that it's, it's, there's some other factors involved. You and I, objectively speaking, 
have a lot, and we certainly have the capacity to have a lot. Yet, I think I could find myself from time to time feeling like I don't have enough. This is the dilemma we find ourselves in. I even find myself complaining about things. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone grocery? We don't do this much anymore because we don't have we're empty nesters. We don't have kids at home anymore. But uh, we had four kids. When we had four kids at home, you know, we go to our grocery, go to the grocery store, we grocery shop, and it was a big bill, and it was a lot of groceries, you know. And then you get home and you realize, man, there's still a whole lot of food left in the refrigerator. So then you have, you're, you're you're frustrated because there's no room in the refrigerator for the new groceries you just bought. You have to throw old food out to put new food in. But instead of thinking, I have too much food, what I think is, I need a bigger refrigerator. Coming back from Louisiana this week, actually, it was funny. I was having a little bit of trouble. You guys, Chris, a little bit of trouble with my, uh, my Apple CarPlay. I have a 2019 Chevy truck. And I was having a little bit of trouble with my Apple CarPlay. It was like, it was just kept, kept going off and then I couldn't see the map on my screen, you know, and I was just frustrated with it. And I had this little fleeting thought that just ran through my head. Man, I need a new truck. <laughs> I, I need a new truck. But I didn't dare say it out loud because Christy was sitting next to me. She's like, I need a new vehicle. I'm the one to drive it and drive it with anyways, which is another story. <laughs> this is often how we feel, Right? So maybe what needs to happen is that we need to wrap our minds around the fact that we, as a people, have a lot. And so what does God have to say to us when we have a lot? And the Bible tells us that we're going to look at, this, at, at, at two stories or two people in the Bible that were considered wealthy. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19 for a minute, and then we're going to go back to Luke 18, and then we'll come back to Luke 19. But in Luke 19, verse 1, says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. We've heard of Zacchaeus before. He was a chief tax collector. Now Luke could have stopped right there. He was a chief tax collector and implied in saying that is that he was wealthy. He's wealthy because he's a chief tax collector. But Luke doesn't. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And the word he uses there is extremely wealthy. Like he had a fleet of cars, he had private jets, he had multiple vacations homes. I mean, this guy has a lot, a lot of money. Now, you need to be, I want to be clear about something. There's nothing inherently wrong in having a lot of money. There's no teaching in the Bible that you can read where it says, okay, this is too much money. Okay, one million is too much. Okay, 10 million is too, 100 million is too much money. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that. What the Bible does teach about, though, is the love of money. When our affections are towards our, the things that we possess, when we find ourselves always trying to hold on to the things that we possess, that's really the real problem. And many of us know that you don't have to have a lot of money to love it. Right? Some of you are like, quiet, I know. We can all be plagued with the love of money. So having a lot of money is not the problem, but Jesus does have something to say 
to those of us who have a lot. So let's go back. So this is Luke 19. We start off in Luke 19 with, with Zacchaeus. Now let's go back to Luke 18. There's another guy, and Jesus is the master of comparison. I love this. When you read through the Gospels, you should always pay attention what was in one chapter and then what's in the next chapter because Jesus is, he's, he's making these amazing comparisons, He's a massive comparison. So he's going to compare these two wealthy guys, right? And so there's this new guy, this other guy he's going to talk about. is this young rich, rich, young, rich ruler. And he approaches Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? Or what must I do to inherit eternal life, he says. And uh, Jesus says, well, actually in Mark, it says that in, the, in the Mark's version of this portion of scripture, it says, just, you know, follow the commandments. You know the law. You know what you're supposed to do. And then man responds back. He says, but I've done all of that. Like this guy is a, like a pristine, perfect Christian. Not really, but you know, in that sense of the word, he was following the law. In most churches today, he would be an elder in a church. He'd be a pastor of a church because he was so good at following the law. But then Jesus sees through his heart and he notices that this man actually loves his stuff more than he loves God. And so Jesus says to him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Listen to this man's response when Jesus says that to him. When the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. <clears throat> this doesn't usually go together. Very sad and very rich. Right? Right? Am I right on that? This doesn't usually go together. Very sad and very rich. But it's telling us something about this man. His possessions possessed him. And what we see implied here is that it would have been easier for this rich young ruler to follow Jesus if he had only a little than having a whole lot. Now, I get this. I understand this. I get it's a weirdness about, about how we are as a culture the things that we possess, the things that we have so easily possess us. I remember when I first went to college, Bible college, I, I owned a 1969 uh, Chevy Impala. It was a yellow, it was all yellow, kind of faded paint, black top, and uh, it, was, it was a junker, man. It was, it was, I paid $250 for it in 1984, okay, or, yeah, 1984, $250 for it. But it ran. The thing is, it ran. It didn't look pretty, but it ran. And then I made it even worse because I was driving down Interstate 45 on my, on my way to college. And you know, back in those days, you would have to, before you take these long trips, you'd have to actually check the oil, make sure you had enough oil in the engine before you took a long trip. And so I checked the oil, but I didn't close my hood right. And so I'm flying down Interstate 45 towards Houston, and poof, my hood just popped open. And it didn't fly off, of course. You know, I just pulled over jammed that thing back down, got it tied down pretty good, but it, for the rest of its life, had this, like it wasn't sitting evenly on the, on the car, and it had these two wings that popped up like this, you know, just straight up in the air. And so that 69, we called it the banana mobile, that 69 Impala, I mean, anybody, anybody could borrow it. There was no restrictions. I kept the key on my, in my dorm room, and if you, were, if you needed a car, just go to room 410. There, you could borrow, my, you could borrow Rich's banana mobile. Anybody, I mean, the, the guy asking for money at the gas station was okay to borrow my, my, my I mean, because it was a junker to me, right? And, you know, it was in the day when you didn't care about those kind of things. Well, 
A few years later, Christy and I bought this 1984 Honda Accord, and man, it was nice. It power windows. No, it didn't have power windows. It was the roll-up windows. But still, it had a lot of other nice features. It had a lot of nice features, you know, and, uh, and, and nice stereo. That's really important in cars, for guys at least, nice stereo back in those days. But uh, I, I remember that time I got that phone call from that first Bible school student who was used to borrowing my banana mobile, said, hey, Rich, can I borrow your car? And I'm like, uh, I had to think for a second, no, I don't want you to borrow my new car. Right? I was having a hard time letting Christy drive it in. She paid for it. I was like, no, you can't borrow this car. This is, and that's really what I'm talking about. My banana mobile was a little. My 84 Honda Accord was a lot. And sometimes it's difficult for us to part with a lot. And this is really what Jesus is speaking to. The conclusion that Jesus reaches concerning this it's actually considered one of the hard statements of Jesus in the Gospels. You'll find there's a variety of them, but this is one of them. Luke 18, verse 24, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And you're wondering, man, Jesus, that's tough. Especially in a society like this that really values wealth. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is not just talking to this rich young ruler. He's talking to us because, objectively speaking, we all have a lot. He goes on to say, though, I love this about Jesus. He goes on to say, but with God, nothing is impossible, even a camel can go through the eye of needle with God, right? I think what happens for us oftentimes is that we start believing some lies. We start thinking that the things that we possess actually bring some kind of wholeness to our life. And we think, for example, that a lot of money will satisfy me. Like, I would be happy if I just had a lot of money. I would be satisfied if I had a lot of money. Well, there's been a lot of research in the, in, about this, and it's been discovered that that's not exactly true. In 2006, there was a Princeton University research that was trying to, to measure happiness based on what we have, and this is what they concluded. It's an exaggeration, okay? It's an exaggeration to think that more money equals more happiness. And then they kind of, they kind of give us some examples of that. They say, they determined that if you make $5,000 a year, you are less happy than a person who makes $50,000 a year. Now, that makes a lot of sense right? Because if you make $5,000 a year, you're living at home with your parents still, sharing a bedroom with your sister, and you're just not happy. You okay? And that makes sense, right? Goes on to say, however, if you make $20,000 a year, you're only 12% less happy than the person who makes $100,000 a year, which is interesting. There's 20,000, it's a big difference, but yet not everybody said they were unhappy where they were. What's really interesting is that according to this uh, research, it says there's, there's really no difference in the level of happiness between a person who makes $100,000 a year from the person who makes $10 million a year. In fact, they said, in the research, they, they, they noted that those who made the millions oftentimes were more anxious about the stuff that they had. 
I know you're hearing me say that. I, hear, I see some smiles out there. You're like, well, I'd like to take my chances with a $10 million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we do get that where we think that a lot of money will satisfy. I think another lie that we believe is that a lot of money will make me significant. We determine our value by how much we have. We we're tempted to think that our real worth is based on our net worth, right? Instead of really letting the significance that we have come from Christ. It's Jesus who gives us significance. And those of us who are in Christ, we understand that. And yet too often it's easy for us to be lured away from the significance that Christ gives and put it all in the things that we possess. I'm not significant because of because I drive a nice truck or I have a nice house. I'm significant because of what Christ has done for me. Amen. Another lie I think that we tend to think is that a lot of money will make me secure. Instead of getting our security from, from Jesus, we, we put our security in the things that we possess, right? We look to money for security. And we say to ourselves, if I have enough money, then I really won't have to depend on other people. I won't have to depend on you know, relatives, I, I'll be on my own, I'll be independent. That's really the prevailing thought when we sit, think of this thing of security, right? I'll be independent. But here's the subtle thing that happens when we start thinking that way is that Jesus becomes somebody who is nice but not necessary. Like I don't have to pray for my daily bread anymore because I have a pantry full of bread. And so I'm no longer dependent on Christ. And this is why when you have a lot, it's easy to find security in it because, and not necessarily Jesus, right? And this is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, let me remind you though, he says with God, nothing is impossible or all things are possible, okay? Now, in Luke 18, we see the story of this rich young ruler who goes away sad. Now in Luke 19, there's another story of Zacchaeus who is also very rich, but it's a completely different, there's a, there's a difference there between the two of them. Zacchaeus has a lot of money, but something inside of him is looking for something more. Like he's become very, like I said, the Bible says he's extremely wealthy, but something is missing. He's searching for more. And he's asking himself, what, is, what else is there out there? Is it, do I just keep accumulating more and more? What do I do? And, there's, and then he hears that Jesus is coming to town. And he, maybe he thinks, maybe Jesus has some answers for me. Like I've heard him talk a little bit. I think he might have some answers for me. So this is what we see in Luke 19. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he climbs this, this sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Jesus is coming to town. Here's this very wealthy man who's searching for more. Verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, the reason he's called a sinner is not because, of, because he had a lot of money. In fact, in this culture, having a lot of wealth just meant that you were blessed by God. That's not the reason why he was called a sinner. He was called a sinner was because of how he got his money. 
The problem wasn't money. The problem was how he got his money. You see, he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He worked for the occupation forces of the Roman Empire. He would collect taxes from his own people. He would, it was like a dirty occupation. He became very wealthy by, by cheating, by manipulating, by having you know, uneven scales. And so he is considered a sinner because of how he got his money, because of his profession. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, Zacchaeus, today, like he's a sinner, he's a wealthy man, today, I want to have dinner with you. I think in that moment, Zacchaeus notices something. You know, he has been ostracized, not because he was wealthy so much, but he's been ostracized because he was, by their standards, a sinner. And Jesus comes in and he, and, he, and he shows compassion to him and love towards him. And Zacchaeus responds to that. Like he's, like he's finding what he's always been looking for. He thought he could find it in his wealth. He thought by just collecting more and more and more, he would be happier, but he wasn't. And finally, Jesus comes along and he finally finds what he's looking for. It's something you cannot buy on the internet. You can't pull it off a shelf. You can't store it in your portfolio. It's riches in Christ is what he found. And it brought him true satisfaction. Zacchaeus discovers how poor he really was when he meets this homeless, poor rabbi named Jesus. When he encounters Jesus, it changes him. I mean, it completely changes every aspect of his life, including his money. Listen to how, how he responds when he meets Jesus. Verse eight, he says, look, look, Lord, here and now, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which he has, by the way, okay, this part right here, I don't know why he said if I cheated. The people I cheated, he should have said, because he has. That's, that was his profession, was to cheat people out of their money. If I've cheated anybody out, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Meeting Jesus impacted how he handles his money. Let me tell you something. There's something wrong when we as followers of Christ don't handle our money any differently than the world does. It's very silent in here. But when we as followers of Christ treat our money like like that person down the street that's really out for himself and greedy, there's something wrong with us, right? When, we, when he meets Jesus, I mean, his natural response is to say, Jesus, it's all yours. I'm surrendering my life to you. And that's really what salvation is. Salvation is saying, I surrender my entire being to you, including even my money. I mean, imagine what would happen if this is how, how we all responded to an encounter with Christ. Imagine if that's how we responded. What, what Jesus is telling us here is not so much about how, having a lot, it's more about what you do with it. What are you doing with what you have? Right? Zacchaeus becomes radically generous. Having found riches in Christ, he doesn't care anymore about all the riches that this world offers because he's found true riches in Christ. And he becomes incredibly generous. There's a guy by the name of Christian Smith. He wrote a book called Passing the Plate. The subtitle of that book is, is Why American Christians Don't Give Away More Money. I'm sure you've never heard of it. 
I don't think it sold many copies with that title, at least. <laughs> anyway, he paints a picture of what would happen if American Christians started tithing. He says if every American Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ in America started actually tithing, giving 10% to their local body, that that would generate 46, and this was written years ago, so it's probably more now, that would generate 46 billion more dollars to kingdom work. And that $46 billion would fund 150,000 new indigenous missionaries, 50,000 additional theological students in the developing world, 5 million more microloans to poor entrepreneurs, food, clothing, and shelter for all 6.5 million current refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. All the money you need for a global campaign to prevent and treat malaria, and enough resources to sponsor 20 million needy children around the world. And then he makes this obvious conclusion. He says, reasonably generous financial giving of ordinary American Christians would generate staggering amount of money that would change the world. In many ways, this is why we do kingdom builders. You, we oftentimes, when we start a kingdom, builders, we oftentimes use the language, we're gonna change the world. And I know this sounds grandiose, may sound a little arrogant. I don't mean it to be arrogant. But see, one thing I've, I've been convinced of is that right here within us, there's the capacity to change the world. If we would just simply respond to Jesus the way Zacchaeus responded to Jesus, Right? And here's how he responds. In Luke 19.8, he says, here and now I give. I'm not going to wait till later. I'm not going to wait till I finally have, you know, all my pieces of the puzzle put together for my retirement. Then, then, then I'm going to be generous. I'm not going to wait till I've saved enough for that house or saved enough for that car. He says, here and now I give. And then Jesus responds to him in Luke 19. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. You know what we're seeing here? We're seeing a camel walk through the eye of a needle. That's what we're seeing. Jesus said, in chapter 18, he said, this is impossible. But then in 19, he shows that it is possible when somebody has an encounter with Jesus Christ. So, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus? Instead of going away sad like that first, first rich young ruler, let's, let's be like Zacchaeus. Let's be generous and let's participate in building his kingdom through our generosity. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about kingdom builders here. It's our kingdom builders emphasis. We do kingdom builders here, here at Life Church March through February. So we're starting this off this, this month. And... Um, we're going to be talking about global missions. We're going to be talking about local church expansion. We're going to be talking about future Christian leaders and being generous to, towards those projects. Our goal this year is $700,000 for Kingdom Builders, which is, kind of scares me a little bit. But, you know, with God, all things are possible. Amen? You believe that? You're awfully quiet. Amen. <clears throat> so here's what I want you to do with this message today. The, the takeaway for today is that you will take this message and ask yourself the question. Go and ask the Holy Spirit to answer this question for you. Okay, Lord, I know I have a lot. How do I make the most of it? 
and let him answer. Be sincere with your question towards God. I, I, I'm going to venture off to say that very few of us Christians actually approach the subject of giving with our Lord. Because we have that compartmentalized view of life. I mean, it's my money, and we oftentimes feel like I don't have enough of it, so let's just not talk about it. But what if every single, all 900 or so of us from Life Church said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sincerely ask the Lord, God, here's what you've blessed me with. What do you want me to do with it? And let him give you an answer. I'm telling you something. We could change the world, you and I. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand, and uh, we're going to end this message. I don't want us... I don't want you to leave this morning. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in, in terms of the context of money and Zacchaeus, you know, and, and how Zacchaeus' approach to Jesus was, I've surrendered my life to you, therefore all of my money is yours. And that's really what we understand as salvation is when a person says to Jesus, Jesus paid the price, he went to the cross, he died on the cross for our sins, he was raised back to life again to, sh to show us that there is life after death. <clears throat> but, but the journey of discipleship is a journey of daily saying, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. I surrender my whole life to you. So I wake up tomorrow morning and there are things that I'm holding on to, but Jesus, I open my hands and I surrender them to you because it belongs to you. Whether it's my money, whether it's my relationships, whether it's my, my uh, you know, my children, my job, Jesus, I'm open-handed with you. I surrender. And if you've never done that before, if you're in this room right now and you've never actually said, Jesus, I give my life to you, I surrender my life to you, today is a day that you can do that and walk out these doors having been set free and born again. Amen? So I just encourage you to do I'm gonna pray for us in just a second. And while we're praying, I'm just gonna ask you to just ask Jesus to come into your heart. And if you do that, we're gonna have a time of worship here in a second. If we have prayer teams here on the left and right, you can step out the prayer teams and, and uh, just let them know that today you're, you're wanting to give your life to Jesus. They'll love on you. They'll pray with you. Um, or you can indicate it in that card that today you gave your life to Jesus or there's another box that says, I would like to know more. And um, somebody will reach out to you from our staff. Amen. So today, let's just do that. Let's collectively say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. For those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ today, Jesus, I surrender all my life, including my money to you. But those of you in this room that have not yet given your life to Jesus, today, Jesus, today, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, because I know that you're here. I know that you're speaking to us. I know, God, that you're challenging us, even, even those of us who, who call you Lord. And yet we haven't really surrendered. We haven't really made you the Lord of our finances. God, today we surrender it all. And for those in this room, Father, who, who have never really confessed you as their Lord and Savior, they, you're a good man, you're a nice teacher, but maybe they've never said, Jesus, you're my Lord. Father, will you just convict their hearts right now and that they would make that decision even right now, Father, as I'm praying, to surrender their life to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.